I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with Pro Football Focus's lead fantasy analyst, Ian Harditz. Not only is Ian one of the absolute best at breaking down college and pro players when it comes to fantasy football, but he is also a proud alumni of Land Grant Holy Land. I worked with Ian here at LGHL for a few years, so I've always known how fantastic he is at what he does. So it's really been a absolute unmitigated failure on my part that this is the first time that we are having him back in a land grant universe in a couple years but after this phenomenal conversation i promise you as long as he's willing to come back it will not be the last time in this episode ian explains why he has justin fields projected as the top fantasy producing rookie quarterback in the nfl this year as well as what to expect from trey sermon and luke farrell during their rookie seasons we also talk about what to expect from Chris Olavi and Garrett Wilson in next year's draft, some of the new playmakers on Ohio State's team, and who the best non-rookie Buckeyes are that you're going to want to land for your fantasy team in your upcoming drafts. This is honestly one of my favorite interviews that we've done in a while here, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So with all of that now out of the way, here's my conversation with Ian Harditz. All right, Ian, it was an interesting draft for the Ohio State Buckeyes, especially when you look at it from where you're coming from the perspective of the fantasy world. There really weren't a ton of Ohio State offensive playmakers that were taken in the draft, especially compared to years past and presumably what's going to happen in the next few years. But the headline was Justin Fields going to the Chicago Bears. And kind of like the subhead for that is that the Bears are trying to convince everybody that he's not going to be the day one starter uh, and that they're actually going to roll Andy Dalton out um, during week one. So I know you've written about this and we're going to talk about some of the stuff you've been uh, pumping out over at PFF this weekend. But what are your thoughts first on the landing spot for Fields in Chicago in terms of a fantasy perspective and whether or not he's actually going to have to beat the Red Rocket out for that start for that starting job? So I love it because I am not buying this ridiculous notion that Andy freaking Dalton is going to keep Justin Fields on the bench. I saw an NFL reporter who I won't name try to compare this to the Kansas City Chiefs having Mahomes and Alex Smith. What? They just signed Andy Dalton. People want to bring up his three Pro Bowls and this and that. People, the Pro Bowl died when Trevor Simeon declined an invitation about five years ago, okay? I do not (laughs) want to hear that Andy Dalton should be starting because he got a Pro Bowl in 2015. I'm not even trying to throw Dalton under the bus. Like, all right, coming in for Dak last year, yeah, yeah, he was fine. It was really rough to start because the Cowboys O-line was in shambles. By the end of the year, he was fine. He's usually always been fine. He's a sum of his parts QB. The Bears did not trade all 
these picks away to move up and get fields in a year where we can't really decide if their head coach or GM's heat is is hotter to sit this guy on the bench. So this is, you know, I thought Fields was a consensus QB2 throughout this whole process. I would not have put Wilson ahead of him. I would not have put Lance ahead of him. This is not my inner Buckeye bleeding out saying, you know, Fields needs <laughs> uh-huh. to be sure. like this sure. should this should yeah. not this should not be a hot take to say Fields yeah. needs to be on the field more quickly than Andy Dalton. But really, I we see this again and again. I mean, when you know Baker went to the Browns, Tyrod started over him. Uh, Nathan Peterman was named starting QB over Josh Allen for a second. Obviously, Tyrod was ahead of Justin Herbert. Historically, though, as much as teams might like to keep their rookie on the bench for a week or two we just don't see it happen since uh 2010 uh we've only seen four quarterbacks actually not start 10 games after they were drafted in the top 10 i know fields just missed it but we'll go ahead and include him with that those only guys jake locker had zero starts patrick mahomes had one jared goff had seven Tua had nine pretty much all those situations there was a pretty you know there's an alex smith type starter waiting there's someone that had been with the team for a while was a competent player i do not think andy dalton is that guy so i just think there's too much unrest with the coach with the gm and i don't think dalton is gonna be good enough to hold fields off for more than a week or two and that leads me to say i do think fields and i haven't ranked as this you can check it on pff.com he is my my rookie QB one this year. Look, if I was starting a franchise, I would take Trevor Lawrence. That's my quarterback of the future. But in fantasy, it's the game we play, yeah. and we want those rushing yards. We want these dual threat players like Fields. We know Lawrence can run too, but Fields and Trey Lance. I'm just more worried about Lance kind of overtaking Jimmy G yeah, with the yeah. same sort of uh, you know just quickness. But Fields and Lance with what they're able to do uh, with their legs, I think they're going to kind of come in. We call it the Konami Code uh, over in over in the fantasy uh, Twitter uh, reign of things because really you know running backs to catch passes, quarterbacks that run the ball, they just tend to be a cheat code in this game. So not buying the Dalton rumors, and I expect to see Fields out there you know by I'd say the end of September at the absolute latest. So what does that mean for Fields in terms of the weapons that he has in Chicago? As somebody who I'm more of a uh, um, red zone NFL fan, like I don't follow a specific team, so I kind of just watch the highlights as they come by. I don't know the Bears offense uh, backwards and forwards. So does he have weapons there? Is he going to have to make do, you know, kind of with his legs and and pick things apart with his arm? Like, does he have people to help him score points? Yeah. And look, we got to remember that as bad as the Bears were kind of last year and even in 2019, I mean, there was a stretch where Mitchell Trubisky was actually putting up some pretty big games. I mean, it wasn't all bad for him. So if Fields can come in and actually be a good NFL quarterback, not be, uh, I can't think of a better word, but a fraud like Trubisky was. And as we found (laughs) out with that, uh, that'll be great for him because while this isn't, you know, for me, the one spot I really wanted Fields to go to was Denver. Now, obviously, it sounds like they have a large, much better quarterback on their mind uh, trying to get at the moment, but it's okay here. Obviously, Allen Robinson is the crown jewel. It's going to be so great to get to see him actually have a real life quarterback for a change. Even going back to when Robinson was at Penn State, man, he was catching passes from Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg. Then it went to Blake Bortles. Then Chad Henney. Then he goes to Chicago. He gets Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky, uh, freaking um, the millions, million-dollar backup. Chase Daniel was throwing him uh, passes, too. <laughs> A-Rob, Justin Fields will already be Allen Robinson's best quarterback he's played with, which is absolutely ridiculous to say, but I really do think it's true. So Allen Robinson, I think, with Fields, you know, can again be in those uh, top 10 wide receiver in the league arguments. He is that good, in my opinion, as a route runner and really just everything, man. He has anyone's idea of a legit alpha number one. We also have Darnell Mooney, who I believe was like a fifth round pick last year, might have even been later. 
It was surprising to see him come out and play as well as he did. A little bit more of a field stretcher guy, but man, oh man, there were a couple of times on primetime, like he put Jalen Ramsey, he put Carlton Davis, put these dudes on absolute skates with double moves and you'd see him wide open downfield. Unfortunately, the ball just wouldn't be able to find uh, its way into his hands. So wasn't, you know, the best year efficiently, but I'm telling you, you watch the guy a little bit more with the film and you see him making plays. So I think it spoke wonders that they didn't find a feel need to really add a receiver other than uh, Daz Newsome. And that was all the way in round six. So it's going to be A-Rob, Darnell Mooney. For now, Anthony Miller in the slot. He's someone that I really like, that he came into the league, scored, I think, seven touchdowns as a rookie while playing through a bum shoulder, flashed a little bit next year. I was all ready for the uh, third-year breakout. And he's just the type of guy, man, who'll have, like, a touchdown the next week. He's only playing 20% snaps. Finally, I was watching some random like week 10 game and I hear them say that Anthony Miller won the award from his teammates, most likely to be late to practice. So all of a sudden things made a little bit more sense. So the wide receivers, you know, with A-Rob there, he obviously elevates the group. I wouldn't say they're incredible, but you at least got real options and a tight end, you know, Jimmy Graham's corpse running around. Cole Komet's a nice rising year, a second tight end. David Montgomery played a lot better uh, last year and really at the end of uh, 2019 as well. And Tariq Cohen coming back as well. Uh, I had some nice pieces of the offensive line look it's not a top 10 unit in the league by any stretch but at a minimum i think fields enters i would say a better situation the jaguars not the 49ers you could argue though i think other than yeah i would say other than um trey lance you could argue justin fields is entering the best situation among these uh five first round quarterbacks and that's again not so much because i love the bears but i think you could argue that the jets the uh patriots and uh the Jaguars jaguars might just be a little bit worse off yeah. Well, what's interesting, you mentioned the fact that because of Fields' running ability, that he's kind of got a bit of a cheat code in terms of fantasy. But removing the running aspect of his game from the conversation, what is his best skill, both from an actual like football perspective, but also from a fantasy perspective? Man, it's that freaking rocket launcher for an arm he's got. And I'm not saying he has the strongest arm in the world, but his ability to just win from in the pocket, it's it's some of these critiques we heard about Justin Fields throughout the whole process just never made sense if you've watched every single one of his games like most most of us have. Yeah. Uh, and Columbus, man, like this idea that he's, you know, a first-read quarterback, like did nobody watch the entire Clemson game? It, it's just always been ridiculous to me. And at PFF, we have stats to really go try to check uh, some of these good ideas we come up with while watching the film and one of those is we can literally look at who is who are highest graded passers when they are thrown to someone that's not their first read among draft eligible quarterbacks justin fields was number one in this class so honestly man it's when he starts moving out of the pocket and i guess holding the ball a little bit long is kind of the issues because you know fields as much of a wizard as he can be you know it's he's so big and he's hard for the defensive lineman to even get down and we've seen him just create these awesome off script plays sometimes and we see this you know with josh allen with russell wilson uh deshaun watson at the next level too like when a quarterback's under pressure there's only a few things you can do you can take the sack you can try to force the ball and the coverage from right there or you can you know just really try to escape and make something happen so fields watson wilson they can make something happen now should they be relying on that all the time? No, but it's it's something, again, where at least Fields has that capability, whereas someone like Mac Jones, you're like, I, basically, I don't want to criticize Fields too much for holding on to the ball when if he was a lesser athlete, like he just wouldn't even have a choice. He'd just have right. to fall down, throw the ball away. So it's just all about reining in that off-script ability, but at least Fields has that ability in the first place. And that, again, is why I never understood how he was dropping the way he was in these drafts, because just as a pure physical prospect, man, there isn't anything this guy can't do 
the whole mental processing thing is, you know, just ridiculous. And from some people borderline, you know, I, you know, I, I won't get into that, but oh, I'll say it's, it's racist. It's, yes. it's, it's racist. Yeah. I'll <laughs> Thank say you. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. And so putting all that aside, yes, he holds the ball a little bit long, but again, I think that's more of just him being like, even like the, uh, you know, the Indiana games, the Northwestern games, like he would be humming so well. And it's like, he would almost just get, have too much confidence in his arm. So yeah. ran that ran that back a little bit, which, Hey, you know, the guy's just, he's only had two years of collegiate starter pretty much. One of which was heavily half, impacted yeah. by COVID. Yeah. So ran that in a little bit, which, uh, you know, I think he's going to have uh, every chance to do here uh, on a better team than most. I think first round quarterbacks we go into. Hopefully, we'll see Justin Fields making a big stride as early as 2021. Yeah. And that thing with him taking sacks and making bad decisions under pressure, like that's something that we all know about because we watch the games. But it's also something that Ryan Day was pretty open about being okay with. Like because Fields is such a good athlete, he is okay with him kind of taking some chances, holding on to the ball uh, a little longer than you normally would want, you know, a Mac Jones to do it. Once he gets to the NFL, all of the guys who are running at you are going to be insane athletes. So you just have to tweak that. Like you said, you have to rein it in uh, and just kind of have to adjust to the competition. And I'm sure fields will be able to do that. But I would just say like, at least for fields, like he just ran a four, 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 man. Like this yeah. dude might be he able was disappointed. To still... Yeah. He was disappointed <laughs> with it. Like that was the thing with uh, Joey Burrow. And he, Burrow is uh, actually playing a, like he was continuing to get better and better. I think as his rookie year went on, but like at LSU, some of the broken plays that he made happen were absolutely insane. And you saw him trying to do that in Cincy. Now that offensive line didn't exactly do him any favors as well, <laughs> but really, you know, you just kind of saw him trying to run away from guys and he wasn't able to Baker Mayfield as well, trying to kind of break the pocket. Those guys don't have the same sort of athleticism as field. So again, that takes me back to why he's my fantasy QB one, because look, man like Josh Allen as much as he came together last year for and became a great real life quarterback he had always been a great fantasy quarterback like we just if you're playing this game you got to realize as much as we want it to reflect real life football it doesn't always do it so Fields man hopefully they tell him you know similar to when Cardale Jones got the job back in the day and Urban Meyer told him hey you know your first read's not there just run man if that's the strategy for Fields like that is music to fantasy managers ears I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, let's move on to some of the other Ohio State folks, the very few Ohio State offensive playmakers uh, in the draft. You mentioned the fact that you've got Justin Fields ranked as your number one fantasy quarterback for rookies, although I think you mentioned the fact that Trey Lance might be your uh, long-term number one quarterback uh, in terms of fantasy over his career. But when we get down to running backs, you have Trey Sermon kind of in a tie at fourth and fifth with the New York Jets' Michael Carter, not to be confused 
with the New York Jets, Michael Carter the <laughs> second because they drafted multiple guys with the same name. So it seems like Sermon is landing in a pretty good spot. He's a, a pretty physical running back, or at least he was in the two games where we actually saw him at his, uh, you know, his best form. And this seems like an offense that is going to utilize what he does really well, just for the fact that it's a really, you know, crowded running back room. So what do you expect from Sermon out in San Francisco, at least during his rookie year? Yeah, right now, I just, I have him behind, uh, Tabs is frequent. I have behind the big three dudes that went, not because I even think Sermon is necessarily worse than those guys, but look at fantasy. It's honestly just about projecting opportunity. Like I've had so many people, my mentions all week, how can you be so high on Najee Harris? Like look at that offensive line they're dealing with and fantasy football volume just trumps uh, efficiency in most of these cases. So again, that is the game we are playing. And with that in mind, it's just tough to wrap your mind around exactly what Trey Sermon's role is going to be. They still have Raheem Mostert. They have Jeff Wilson. Wayne Gallman, they actually drafted another running back later. Who, who is to say Sermon isn't better than all those guys? I don't know. For Shanahan to use a third-round pick on a running back, that certainly speaks volumes yeah. to what he thinks about Sermon. With that said, man, it's been a while since we've seen Shanahan, you know, give someone like Alfred Morris or Devontae Freeman just three, 400 touches per year. And I do think that Najee Harris in an empty Pittsburgh backfield, uh, ETM with that first-round capital, uh, and Javante Williams in Denver with the higher second-round capital, and I'm just not really sold on this year's version of Melvin Gordon. I just think they have easier pass, maybe not to a full-on workhorse role, but either that or at least a two-back committee. That's the problem with Sermon. Pretty much every committee in the league these days excuse me, pretty much every backfield in the league is a committee these days outside of a handful. That's fine. But if it goes from two to three backs to four backs, that's when we start having issues. And honestly, man, the one person that probably would have benefited the most, just from a fantasy perspective, from the 49ers drafting Mac Jones would have been these running backs and specifically yeah. Trey Sermon. Because as we see in Baltimore and Buffalo, when you and even in Philly a little bit with Jalen Hurts now, when you have this quarterback that wants to run, you know, when the play breaks down, they're not checking it down. They're usually taking off and scrambling. And then when they get inside a 10 yard line, they're taking off and scoring their own touchdowns instead of giving it to the running back. We do see running backs efficiency rise when the, they have a rushing quarterback. It makes sense on those read options. You know, the defensive end mm-hmm. has to stay more on, stay more honest. Like, you know, Urban Meyer made a freaking career using his QB in the run game. It's objectively better for everyone involved, but in fantasy land, like having an extra 0.2, 0.3 yards per carry, that doesn't, you know, outweigh an absence of, you know, 20 targets or an extra 30, 40 rushes that you might get elsewhere. So for Sermon and Trey Lance, man, I'm not sure how soon Lance is going to be under there, but it's not going to be the most ideal situation when he's already probably going to be splitting carries. Again, though, the best case scenario, if he just gets to be the 49ers, RB1 is going to be incredible. We've seen the Shanahan family for years. Uh, make do with far less talented players and sermons. So again, just from a pure opportunity standpoint, it's a little bit up in the air, but hey, it's uh, one of the best spots to land. I mean, going into the draft, I was looking at the Steelers, the Jets, the Falcons as kind of the big three teams that just need a new running back, but the 49ers are right there where they hadn't really invested too much in anyone. Obviously, Mostert's had some huge games, but he's still a former undrafted guy. So Sermon could rise up sooner rather than later. And McCarter, who I had pretty much tied with Sermon right now, he has a far easier rise to the depth chart in New York right now. It's Tevin Coleman, yeah. and Michael Pirine, and you know, journeyman Ty Johnson has only been in the league for a couple of years as it is. But the question is, 49ers, uh, okay, their uh, uh, passing game coordinator, Michael Floor, is now the OC with the Jets. So we're looking at a similar Shanty-styled offense. And 
you know, people are kind of looking at the Jets saying, oh, Michael Carter can take over, but they're looking at the 49ers saying it's going to be a committee. I mean, I'm assuming the guy that just came from the 49ers is probably going to run a pretty similar offense. So I think we might be looking at uh, two different committees. And again, when I don't think there's really much of a lean between Sermon or Carter in terms of who's going to be getting more touches, I'll take the better offense, which is the 49ers. So it's one of these things, man, where if week one rolls around and we look at these snaps after the game and Michael Carter's playing 80%, like, okay, we're going to do some readjusting on the fly. But as things stand right now, uh, give me Sermon for the better offense. But man, oh man, if there's any day three running back to uh, hang your hat on, it's definitely Michael Carter. Yeah. Uh, So the only other really Ohio State playmaker that was drafted was kind of a surprise. I did not expect Luke Farrell to get drafted at all, let alone in the fifth round. Um, But as you mentioned, Urban Meyer, uh, his old coach, the the head coach that recruited him to Ohio State, drafted him in the in the fifth round. You have him. You have him as the fifth tight end, which you kind of lumped two through five together as mainly insignificant fantasy players for their rookie year. Yeah, it's nothing against Luke Farrell. Literally since 2010, it's been Evan Ingram, and he needed like OBJ to break his leg that year. And Rob Gronkowski have only been top 12 PPR players. It's, you know, you're you're tight end. It's another dual threat thing, but it doesn't work out in fantasy because you need to be a pro-ready blocker in most systems and also a receiver to then put up the, uh, you know, accompanying fantasy points. So Farrell, I don't think he's going to get there because Tyler Eifert happens to still be in Jacksonville for now, I believe. Um, Also, I guess they want Tim Tim Tebow. Tebow, That was you know, one of those Thursday <laughs> storylines that kind of got swept on the rug when the whole Aaron Rodgers saga uh, came out. So I think Farrell will probably be more of a committee. It is interesting, though, because, you know, at Buckeye fans, I know we were kind of pleading for Ohio State to use their tight ends more for, for decades, years. And decades, yeah, yeah. You know, Van Ett, Hireman, like really good NFL players would come through here and just not do anything. So, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Rucker was, you know, when Ohio State did really want to throw the ball, you know, it wasn't always going to Farrell. But, you know, I, I still remember him boxing out that Clemson defender. I thought Fields had just thrown yeah. a pick, but it was like, holy, holy shit, our guy actually caught the ball. Like, that's fantastic. So, hey, you know, Urban obviously knows Farrell better than probably any other NFL coach in the league. So maybe he uh, has something there. I would just say, again, History tells us later round prospects, which Farrell fits and rookie tight ends generally don't do much. So I would fully expect Farrell to be a better real life player than a rookie, at least in 2021. Yeah, um, I know this has not been the 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 group of players that you've been focusing on here recently for obvious reasons. But considering that you are a Buckeye at heart, I want to ask about uh, a couple of the wide receivers who we assume will be a part of the 2022 draft. And as you project um looking forward to their rookie years and even into their careers what do you think of the potential for both chris olave and garrett wilson uh, when it comes to either where they into the draft what their fantasy uh projection might look like uh, and all of that stuff when they presumably get into the league in 2022 it's looking like two first rounders man I think. you know we were seeing the way too early mocks out there and this and that but Man, on PFF, I believe we ranked uh, Garrett and Alave as actually wide receiver one and two in the entire country going to next year. So, hey, man, it makes sense to me. I don't know what you can really point out with these guys to critique. Garrett Wilson is such a great story, man. I actually went to a high school with his brothers and played uh, football oh, wow. with them. And Cam went to Iowa. Uh, Donovan went to Georgia Tech. And it was just funny, man, because there was always they, they had their youngest brother, uh, Garrett, who was, uh, you know, at that point, like fourth or fifth grade, you know, had uh, I mean, he was always popping around the field before the games. And even then, man, his brothers were saying, yo, Garrett's the best one. Like, look out. And unfortunately, his family moved back to Texas before uh, Jerome got to uh, 
uh, got to have freaking Garrett Wilson out there, but my goodness, dude, just from day one, what he's been able to do. I mean, you know, usually see freshmen come in and get any amount of playing time for him to do that in 2019 and actually thrive. I mean, and it's just like from day one, man, Garrett Wilson just come in and he's already had sky high expectations and he somehow managed to exceed them. Love what yeah. Ryan Day's done with playing him in the slot, but also still giving him um, some run on the outside. So Garrett's going to be one of those guys where I think you look at every single NFL offense and say, this guy, you can find a spot for him in any three wide receiver set and he's just going to make the group better. You know, we'll see how these guys test. That's always a big thing, but just in terms of ball skills, route running and everything we've seen from uh, Garrett and also Alave. I don't know how other guys can make it out of the first round. I hope Alave doesn't get dinged for coming back. As weird as that sounds, there are yeah. going to be some people, you know, probably more on Twitter than like NFL scouts, uh, so to be stupid. honest with you. Yeah. But, you know, people saying, oh, you know, the riders who are coming out as a junior is a better prospect than as a senior. Whatever, man. Like Alave is already in that weird, uh, not not weird tier, just incredible kind of tier of the guy where, you know, makes a catch. All of a sudden, the camera goes down the wide receiver cornerback ISO cam. You just get your popcorn ready, man, because you know there's about to be some great route coming. I mean, that comeback for a score he had against Clemson. I mean, never ever since that Michigan game as a freshman, he's been yeah. uh, tripping up in the open field. So, yeah, to me, uh, Chris Olave. I'm not sure how fast he is. The only way I can kind of see him falling. I mean, I know he's fast enough to run behind pretty much every secondary he comes across, but the only way I can see a lave falling is if maybe he's not testing quite as well as I probably would expect someone like Garrett too. But just in terms of what they can do on field, man, sign me up for both those guys. Hopefully you can enlighten me. Who's going to be throwing him the ball, man. Is it going to be uh, McCord or what's going on there? I think it's going to be CJ Stroud. He seemed to be the leader coming out of the spring game and I honestly would not be surprised if Jack Miller ends up transferring before the fall. I know Ryan Day is going to do everything he can to keep all three quarterbacks in the room for at least one season. But I just think that McCord's probably the better athlete of between him and Stroud. But Stroud's had a year in the offense, and it's really tough to throw a guy in um, to be the starter if he's only been on campus for six months. But then then you also got to figure out, like, how will picking the starter for 2021 – impact what happens um, with Quinn Ewers, who's the number one player in the country in the 2022 class. So you've got to kind of play the the chess of starting. But I think it'll be Stroud. Um, and I think that's good. Like, I think he's a stud, and he looked by far the best in my eyes uh, during that spring game. But Hey, I, I figure if he wasn't, you know, Rucker and Olave would be on NFL teams exactly. by now. So. <laughs> well, that was when, I, when, when they said Olave was coming back. I think I even wrote an article or a tweet or something that said, like, that says more about the quarterback situation than anything yeah. else you're going to hear from anybody. Chris Olave is not going to come back for a senior season to have somebody who he doesn't think can get him the ball consistently. It just doesn't make sense. And Olave is a different dude. Like, you know, he, he, we heard so many stories after the, uh, the Clemson game from the 2019 season about how personally he took that. He came back because he wanted to really make sure that they could beat Clemson. They beat Clemson. And now he's coming back again after losing, uh, to Alabama. Like he just seems like he's a dude that's kind of motivated internally, um, by competitive stuff a little bit more than perhaps the money and stuff like that, that he's going to get at the next level. Yeah. I, I forget the quote he said, but he just, you know, he wanted to come back again and particularly, you know, considering how hard that year was for not just, you know, football players, but any yeah. collegiate student, I don't wouldn't blame anyone for re-racking it and just getting one more in them. Uh, last question I have for you real quick with this Ohio state team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will keep picking your brain. Uh, who's this uh, five-star running back we got? I was reading some reports saying that he's moving a little bit differently. I know master Teague's probably going to be the, uh, you know, starter as long as he's healthy, but is this guy, you know, Dobbins good where he might not, maybe not Dobbins good. 
Yeah, I know Dobbins is you know special among special, but is he going to be out there really and often? He's 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 Dobbins good. Travion Henderson. Oh, let's go. Is, let's go. I, I, look, I honestly think Master Teague is maybe the third, maybe the fourth most talented running back in that room. Wow. Um, when you got guys like if you think about it, like you've got not only Trevion Henderson um, in there, who is the most talented, I think he will probably end up getting the most carries, whether or not he's the technical starter um or not sure. who knows then there's another highly recruited freshman in this class as well and uh and evan Pryor, who's really good he's a, you know kind of a smaller back but then you've got guys like marcus crowley who were looking really good early in their in his career and got hurt and hasn't really been on the field for a while so i i think the running back's going to be incredibly helpful for whomever ends up starting at quarterback because they're just going to have some weapons there that they didn't have um necessarily last year when it was by committee until obviously sermon turned into to eddie george late in the season <laughs> but i think i think trevion henderson's the real deal i would not be surprised if he ends up getting 40% of the carries out of the backfield, which is a pretty decent percentage when you've got as many talented players as they do. And obviously Ryan Day likes to pull starters uh, when possible. So I, I think Travion Henderson, somebody to hang your hat on in terms of a real legit weapon, especially for a first time starting quarterback. That's great news. Ohio State really was missing. I mean, okay, obviously Sermon came on strong, even that right. Michigan State game uh, at the end. But first four or five weeks, I remember some of my friends giving me shit when I was like at the beginning of the year saying, like, I don't know, it's Master Teague or Sermon. Like Teague's probably playing a little better right now. Like yeah. Sermon's only career touchdown at the horseshoe came when he was playing for Oklahoma. <laughs> like I wasn't so weird. Wasn't like Sermon was going for a buck fifty, and I was just like, you know, and eh, you know, not, not not good enough for me. We just didn't quite see that typical no. Ohio State run game, at least for the first part of the year. Uh, good to hear that should be fixed here 2021. Yeah. yeah, I'll get you out on one last question about Ohio State uh, in your fantasy wheelhouse. We talked about the three rookie playmakers for the Buckeyes, but looking at the rest of the fantasy prospects that came out of Ohio State, um, we'll leave Joe Burrow out of it because at Land Grant, we love to troll and say he's one of us <laughs> anyway. But, you know, other than him, um, Zeke, Michael Thomas, um, all of those guys, J.K. Dobbins, we just mentioned. Who do you think is going to be the one or two best Buckeye fantasy players heading into the uh, 2021 NFL season? Okay, real quick, you said Michael Thomas. I Nothing makes me more mad than when people just get off on calling him slant boy and ridiculing Michael Thomas. Like, how can we don't make fun of Steph Curry for only shooting threes? Like that's what we're <laughs> reduced to. This guy's too dominant on one route. And we're going to like hit on him for that. Never mind that Stop he's been it. catching passes. Yeah. He's been catching passes from 40 year old Drew Brees, Taysom Hill and Teddy Bridgewater, who we can't make fun of enough, but all of a sudden it's Michael Thomas's fault. When we go to this, I think the issue came when he broke that receptions record and people wanted to start saying he is the best wide receiver in the league, which I wouldn't say, but he deserves to be in the conversation. He played through so much pain last year. Hasn't had as much quarterback help as people would like. He's actually been one. He's number four since he entered the league and making catches 20 plus yards downfield on catchable targets. They usually don't ask him to do that. So I would love to see Michael Thomas again, tough to say we could see, you know, more of a player, even though they've already broken the freaking single season reception record, but with more of a gunslinger like Jameis Winston, I think Michael Thomas could shut a lot of people up uh, here in 2021. 
Uh, I would say though, Terry McLaurin is the one that you yeah. people just need to really trust in fantasy land, mostly because of volume, but you know, Terry in his own right is a freaking baller as well. And, you know, kind of in that Michael Thomas class, I think that's going to be like the last group of Ohio state wide receivers. Where we had to, you know, quote unquote, suffer from them falling in the drafts because urban just kind of only had them run their yeah. certain routes. I mean, we, you know, I was shocked to see Terry McLaurin do the things he did at the NFL level because we just had never seen him do it yeah. at Ohio state. As it turns out, man, you get these four or five star receivers and yeah, they can run a general route tree as well. But the big thing with McLaurin, man, is just being Ryan Fitzpatrick's number one receiver since Fitzpatrick has had uh, just 10 starts. He's had 10 starts in eight seasons. I mean, his number one receivers, the worst target total they ever have is Devontae Parker with 128. But man, Stevie Johnson had 134, 141, 148 targets. Old man Brandon Marshall had 173 targets one year on the Jets. TJ Hushmanzada got 137 another year. McLaurin last year, man, he was one of the top receivers in the league in yards after the catch because he had to be because they had Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins out. Haskins was barely out there. But Alex Smith is particularly, man, he just wanted to get the ball out. He wasn't throwing downfield and McLaurin made the most of that. But we've seen this dude go downfield, make contested catches, really do absolutely everything you want from a number one receiver. So I think McLaurin, as great as he's already been, man, he was already starting to build up his own, you know, kind of Andre Johnson, uh, yeah. his Allen Robinson list of like bad. QBs he's played with to start a career. I'm happy he's now getting Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has made a ton of receivers, uh, usually older ones. He's, you know, he's been that guy to kind of get those older receivers one last great contract. But I think McLaurin with a year or two from uh, Ryan Fitzmagic, we we're going to see him surge up and be a top 10 producer here in 2021, hopefully, be, hopefully beyond. I love that. I love that. Well, Ian, this has been awesome. I I'm, I feel like an idiot for not having you on sooner, uh, as I said, off air. But we'll have to do this again before the season starts. I really appreciate all this insight. I am not somebody who understands fantasy super well. So having somebody break it down like that is uh, is incredibly helpful. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, always can't can't appreciate the land grant uh, fam enough. You know, they were the first really uh, company to give me a shot writing uh, back about seven, eight years ago. Shout out Matt Jeez. Brown, Luke Zimmerman helped me uh, become the guy I am today. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where uh, I really respect, uh, you know, just anyone that takes the time to really put together a, a website like you guys do. Cause I mean, I know it's even, even though there's a hot and cold periods of the season, you know, you need people to be out there every single day, trying to get yeah. that news and uh, get those clicks. So uh, you guys continue to do a great job and yeah, man, uh, PFF, PFF fantasy football podcast. If you guys want to play the game, we are, right into the offseason right now so you know there's plenty of time to catch up on your Buckeye news and learn a little about the NFL as well so appreciate you having me on Matt good talking to you man Thank you for listening to this episode of Langer and Holy Land in conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to the phenomenal Ian Harditz. We will have links to his social media, PFF content, and the PFF Fantasy Podcast in the show notes. But you should follow him on Twitter at iHarditz. That's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. If you are finding this episode on LandGrantHolyLand.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we are kicking off a huge new slate of shows with new hosts, new voices, new topics and perspectives. So you will not want to miss out on this content that you will not be able to find anywhere else in the Ohio State Podcasting Universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.